0: After Ang Lee season comes to a close tonight, we look at The Life of Pi, his 2012 adaptation of Jan Martel's novel, which would earn him his second Oscar for Best Director, as here he tells the tale of Pi Patel, a young boy who finds himself stranded on a lifeboat with several animals in company. But is there more to this tale than there seems? A visually arresting film, certainly, but is there any depth below the flashy visuals? We certainly will find out tonight. I'm Elwood. I'm Kim. And you listening to and T let's take it to the booth Welcome to the final episode of uh, Movies and Tea. Here we are wrapping up season four. And tonight we are obviously looking at Life of Pi, uh, which while it's perhaps not the last film in the Ang Lee filmography, it's certainly what we've chosen to bring our season to a close with and I think it's a rather fitting point uh, to which to stop off with Ang Lee because certainly after this point it's... A sort of downward uh, spiral, really, for Lee's work, with the likes of Taking Woodstock and Billy Lynn's half- long halftime walk, both receiving critical maulings and not li- perhaps living up to the expectations that have been placed upon them. Meanwhile, his more recent efforts, such as Gemini Man, have seen him move towards more blockbuster fare and away from the art scene that we've seen him come up with of the films that we've obviously covered over the course of this season. But... As I said, tonight we are talking about Life of Pi, his second Oscar win for Best Director, and a film which saw him not only creating a film which was both critically and commercially successful, but at the same time a film which saw him receive the much ire from the special effects community for not perhaps giving them the much due credit that they deserve for this film. Um, so, Kim, I mean, here we are, the last film of our Ang season, and... How did you feel about uh Life is Pie? Life uh, of Pie. <laughs> Life uh, is Pie. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, Life of Pie is I mean I think I was more excited to watch it when it first came out and as the years kind of went by, I kind of had less and less interest in it. Yeah. I don't know if it was because it was more dramatic and I had and I've been slowly moving away from, you know, watching uh, drama movies. Or it's the fact that I've always been wanting to read the book before I got to the movie. And the book's still kind of sitting on my shelf unread. And then I just kind of <laughs> forgot about it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is. But it, I, I think that I wanted to watch this for the wrong reasons. I just love things with tigers. So I really wanted to watch the movie for the tiger. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, you know... All kind of, like, you know, weird reasons to watch this movie. And finally watching it, I think it's... <laughs> I don't know how to say this. <laughs> um, it's, it's not a bad movie, obviously. Um, there are a lot of things that are really good about it, like, visually, um, and all the kind of fantastical elements that slowly come up as the movie starts moving more into that kind of more fantastical element. And just how everything is shot and how, you know, everything, like, the cinematography of this is incredible um but i mean the main point of this was that you know he would tell this story to this writer and convince him you know that this is a story that at the end of it that he'll believe in god so i believe it's more of a story about maybe faith and beliefs um does it deliver as well as that i i Maybe? Um, I'm I'm not sure yet. Maybe through this discussion we have, maybe I'll feel a little bit more certain on, on whether the goal of the movie in the beginning was achieved throughout.
0: For myself, I mean, I remember the book coming out and it being insanely popular. It was one of those books that everyone was sort of, like, coming in to buy, and it was sort of like, I just do not get the appeal of this book at all, so... Um, I can't say I was overly thrilled when the film came out, and certainly it's a film that I've saw more times just with the subtitles on rather than with actual any sound, because we used to watch in the office when I worked for the cable company. It used to be always on, because apparently the people in our office have no taste. And, yeah, this is a film which is... It's certainly seems to be it could be seen as a sort of adventure survival movie but at the same time it's trying to ask all these sort of bigger questions about faith and destiny and religion which is sort of the main focus of the, the first half of the film where we're introduced to uh, Pi Patel whose father names him after a swim pool in France so his actual name is Piscine Motar Patel uh, which of course <laughs> leads him all sorts of problems in school because people hear "piscine," and of course they do that old thing, old thing of when you learn French of "don't piss in the piscine." So they just keep calling him "pissing Patel," which uh, leads him to changing his his name to Pi, um, and embarking on a rather elaborate scheme to make sure that everyone just associates him with the word pie. The film itself is actually framed around a young writer. Who meets P- uh, grown-up Piper in as he's living in Canada? Eh? He's in and... Montreal?
1: You oh, know where it's a I classy live. Classy part, of Canada. And yeah, and and there was like the scenes that they had of Montreal was literally like places that I go to every day. <laughs> Very at home for me.
0: <laughs> now I just have to. I just want to like start by by bringing up the whole framework for this film because we can't constantly cut back and forth between this. Writer and he's interviewing um the grown up Patel, and the they're constantly like, doing things like they're they making curry to begin with, and then they're going for a walk and these leaps in time when we go back to them don't seem to ever seem to like justify where how far we are along in the story. So there's some very weird leaps in time in on that side, but right from the start, I mean, this is a film that sort of has this real sort of fantastical edge to it, and it kind of reminded me of Big Fish in that way of the um and the way that that pi describes things in his uh home t- in sort of like his hometown they got this real sort of tall tale fantastical edge to it starting with his uncle who is uh descri- described as having this like uh inflated chest because he was swung around by his legs as a baby to get the fluid out of his lungs so it gave him this big broad swimmer's chest and when we obviously see this character is sort of like. It felt very like a almost like a CGI creation we're watching, and I did wonder how much CGI was used in this movie because there's so many scene shots in the opening where you see like uh, this this zoo in India where you can like you're playing a game of like spot the real animal and spot the CGI animal, so.
1: Yeah, but, you know, you know that the beginning moments like that kind of reminded me a little of Wes Anderson. And, and, I mean, I've only seen, like, Grand Budapest Hotel, so I don't have a whole lot to base it on. But, I mean, yep. it kind of reminded me a little of the style, like just the color palette and just, like, how how the scenes were framed and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is certainly, it was certainly a real sort of love letter to India, something that I've never mm-hmm. felt the... Same sort of appeal of. I know that uh, this time that Hollywood had a real thing for India is we had this and we had Slumdog Millionaire. And, again, India and films set in India just told no real appeal to myself. If you're sitting in, like, Hong Kong or Japan or Korea, then, yeah, certainly these are all very exciting and interesting locations, but India is certainly not an interesting location for myself. So, I mean, how did you find these opening sort of scenes in... In uh, that the make up this first forty minutes, where obviously we're introduced to Poi Patel and his sudden interest he develops in religion, so that he he eventually ends up taking on about four different religions. He becomes a Catholic, Muslim, and with uh, elements of Islam, and even says that he teaches uh the Torah at the local uh, university. So there's elements of Judaism in there as well. So. How did you um, find this sort of like these early years of uh, Pipertel?
1: you know honestly, I actually could connect to the first part of that a lot because his his feeling towards religion in that sense is something that I think I felt the same way as I grew up um and and at this point in my life I mean I'm not scared to say I'm not very religious like I don't mm. really have any. I believe everything is just about faith and what you believe in, and I respect what everybody believes in. But I mean, like, <laughs> it's really the fact that I think that at that point it, it's it's about it's about like I think there's this freedom in his you know the first forty minutes is really about just getting to know this character um, as a child you know as he's growing up and the family and that he grew up with and and just you know like what sculpts this this person into. I guess what becomes uh, you know later on the 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 young boy that we see who gets trapped at sea and then this this man now that we're seeing who who has this you know and like like whether whether you know how much to believe in what he's saying about you know this story that he he says kind of makes you believe in in God right um, at, at this point it's kind of like you know he. He has so many different religions and I don't think it's a wrong thing because he's curious about religion in itself, right? And and because he's he's grew up with two different sides. Like his mother is feels like the only connection he has she has is is to religion to say um I think it was what uh like like I think it was because of something that happened or something that she believes in. Yes, yeah,
0: she married below a station. so her family disowned her
1: yeah so the closest thing she can feel to her father was was religion whereas in as a businessman the father of of pi feels that religion is darkness as he words it um and and because of this you know he ends up getting you know he 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 ends up being you know introduced to all of these hindu gods which he calls them superheroes which already you know right away that he has kind of more of like a fantastical mind where he can compare these things to to them and I and I think it's pretty nice to think about it that way like I've never heard people compare Hindu gods to superheroes and as he talks about each of them I thought it was pretty charming how you know it was kind of like an easier way to understanding a religion that you know I've I've only had like a 101 course in high school for you know But, I mean, other than that, you know, like, I I, I can understand where all of this curiosity is. And I kind of like the character because he was really open-minded to learning about these different religions and really understanding, you know, oh, why, you know, uh, why, you know, God sacrificed, you know, sent Jesus to be hung on a cross and all that stuff. And why would he do that for, you know, like, like, why would you, you, you do this for, like, bad people? Kind of like in his mind, it was kind of like, you know, people have sinned, but you're sending someone innocent to to do that and all that sort of thing. And and then, you know, he talks about, you know, when he when he comes to 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 know Allah and then he starts performing those rituals and all those things. And and they, you know, they use this as kind of like a way of telling you whether whether and then, you know, obviously the father brings in the fact that, well, you should believe in science, which is, you know, being able to think rationally. But, you know, it's okay if you believe in a religion that he doesn't believe in. But The whole concept of, you know, having these, this idea of just, you know, believing in one thing and not everything. And I think that kind of throws out that question, whether, whether it's wrong to believe in everything, I guess.
0: Well, in terms of the way his worldview is that he sees that by following the three main religions of the era, which is, uh, as it's Christianity, Islam and Hinduism, that it's his way of of loving God, by covering, mm-hmm. basically, essentially covering all angles, really. Um, so yeah. he combines all these these elements. So he he says grace at the table. I mean, he obviously pays homage to the Hindu gods, which there are over a million of, which is a fun fact for you. Mm-hmm. And obviously, with uh, with with Ali, as you said, is is praying to uh, praying to. Um, he he's obviously shown doing his prayer ceremonies as well, and his as interesting, obviously, because of his the, his parents coming from two different sides. Obviously, his father being the rationalist, and his mother obviously be having her feelings granted in religion. They sort of he, allow him to uh, to pursue this. They see it as uh, they almost view it as a hobby, uh, where his, his mother says that uh, it says to his brother, it's like you cri- like cricket, pie likes religion. <laughs> Uh, which was thought mm-hmm. was a really interesting way of looking at it, and I mean the whole the whole uh, portrayal of India here is shown in a very romantic light because they're obviously in a, the French quarter. Uh, so there's obviously numerous references drawn to like Paris and how they there's all these uh, different elements have been brought across by the French settlers. So at the same time, we get like little bits of. Uh, Things such as his um, relationship with the young girl uh, and which yeah. ultimately, when you look back at it, it does feels like a lot of filler. Much like a lot of this forty minutes, it's all sort of like we're seeing all this theory being thrown around about religion and faith, and it sort of amounts to very sort of little. When the only sort of thing that we need is is more his father's teaching about about how you don't have a connection to these animals you're basically just seeing your own compassion reflected back at you in particular with the tiger which he forces him his son to see devour a goat after he almost loses an arm thinking that he can hand feed a tiger which is always a interesting theory to say the least
1: (laughs) yeah but i think i think like i think that in in some ways if they say they just jumped into the movie right away would you kind of like I th- you know, I-, I thought about it a little because I actually thought the, the front was was a bit extended like, I don't think we needed that whole like section about, you know, mocking his name and that whole section about that whole thing um, there is a certain charm to doing that and I think that it does set a certain foundation for, like, what it's trying to do, because in the end you know, we are trying to tell the story of, he makes the point that this is a story you know, that, that this writer comes is to learn this story that mamaji told him was about uh was about believing in god at the end so the part about faith and religion and his beliefs felt you know like it was relevant because it also led back to you know the modern day and the present time when he's talking about you know faith as a house with many rooms and and it's you know i think that that's something to keep in the back of your mind as we go through this movie where you know, obviously, as the events go by, I feel less about the faith of the whole situation, but more about survival. And and then you think about the fact that, you know, some people, how much faith is in, faith and destiny is in the hands of whatever you believe in in order to survive. So, like, how much of that is connected to each other. So I think there is certain value to it. I think that, I just think that it might have, it, it could have done with maybe cutting it a little bit, like keeping it a bit more fast track. But it doesn't seem like it's Ang Lee style. You know, after, what, eight movies or whatever it's movies we've seen, it doesn't seem like his style anyway. So it's kind of expected at this point.
0: It would be nice if we made a movie under two and a half hours, but yeah, as you said, it's it's not so seemingly on the agenda for, uh, Lee, for Lee as a director. More so, it's when you win, like you know, the best best director Oscar, essentially gives you more freedom just to do what the hell you want. So people sort of believe more in your vision. So if you say, I want to make a three-hour movie or two-and-a-half-hour movie, whatever, they're more likely to, to back your vision than if you don't have that sort of best, Oscar, best director win Oscar, um, where they basically say, no, you're going to trim this down to a reasonable hour and a half. And I feel that... With this film, I don't know. Maybe if we trimmed about half an hour off it, I probably would have liked it a bit more. But certainly as charming as that uh, first 40 minutes is, it does does feel a little preachy in places.
1: At the same time, I feel like, you know, there are certain things that they're really trying to... I don't know if it's to loosen up the mood a little before we go and have to survive in the ocean Uh for, like, what, 200-something days that we're witnessing? Yeah. But at the same time, it's also, you know, he, you know, we get into that whole thing where, oh, now they need to leave. And and then all of a sudden, you know, they're on the boat. And then this, this really, I feel like it's important to talk about that kind of like, um, the kind of, you know, argument they have with the cook. But I feel like it's more for the actor they hired to do the cook more than it's for the situation itself because it was kind of kind of came out of nowhere and then it gave this person a place so that like later on back 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 in the you know when we talk about the ending he's able to craft a story around it
0: yeah i mean (laughs) there's some real um real sort of boutique casting here as we get joe dapper do playing the ship's cook and I don't know about yourself, Kim, but I really love Joe Dab do. I think he's a fantastic. I do, actor. I, I do. I,
1: I have no problem with it, but that's what I'm saying. It's the whole situation is more for an ends to a means more than it's 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 for the fact that you know that part was you know is it to show that they're gonna be heading into a lot of you know issues with immigration, like as they immigrate to a new country and all the all the crap that's gonna come with it.
0: Possibly at the same time, Cause it's, saw- it's a
1: very cause it. Because it's a very light touch, right? Because, you know, obviously, because they have the whole, you know, Friend Pondicherry area that that they essentially uh, live in and, you know, work in and whatnot, they're more, you know, these are... This is an area that's, you know, kind of westernized, but also they're more accepting because it's in another country. So now they're kind of, like, getting this kind of, like, culture shock when they're treated, mistreated on the ship.
0: Yeah, so... I mean, obviously, they have to leave India uh, because of the changing times and uh, they decide they're going to move to Canada and they're going to sell the animals uh, from the zoo. So the family are, are traveling ac- across in this Japanese freighter and, uh, as you said, they encounter this cook who doesn't... I think it's not so much he's, he's a racist, I think he just doesn't take kindly to people messing with his regime. Because hey. he's basically got his idea that you know everyone's going to eat the same thing, and I don't need people coming on my uh, coming in my galley and with dietary requirements of like say oh you're, I'm vegetarian, so we had that whole scene where he's like you know I, you can just basically just have rice and uh, rice and gravy, and I think they even turn they turned down the gravy, so they just have rice, which makes the scene where you've got the Japanese celery sort of like oh, I also vegetarian, but I just use gravy as flavor, so of what was there it was it was a nice little subtle scene so
1: because i i think i think the scene has its meaning because i feel like ang lee does these movies and every single little detail has its certain meaning to it and i think in this situation it could just be the fact that it, it could be as simple as just your view and my view are different but you can but you can always change the view and your reality in order to kind of adapt to your situation better because in in, in in reality, this kind of situation, if you think about it, kind of matches to how we wrap, wrap up the ending when he has to, you know, deal with, you know, after the whole thing and they have to deal with those Japanese insurance investigators or something.
0: Yeah, and that, that again, is where I think with The Chef, it, it just plays more into just the end game. Yeah. Um, I felt more than, than, than I think, that you've got to create this character who's going to who we can work into our intel and that it'll be his that what we're going to be told about this this character is completely believable because obviously how we've seen him earlier in the film, so um but as they're obviously travelling uh, travelling uh, across to Canada, uh the boat sinks and Pai finds himself on a lifeboat with a zebra, an orangutan, a hyena and uh under the tour a Bengal tiger, which has uh, been known uh, called Richard Parker due to a clerical error, <laughs> which so the tiger was given the name of the hunter rather than an actual um, the name it was supposed to have been given. <laughs> so yeah, if you hit any talk of Richard Parker, we're talking about the tiger. And uh, yeah, I mean this is this again is something that amused me greatly when people read the book, reading the book, and they will say, "Oh yeah, he's on this." boat and he's with these animals and and they I think they had this this uh, real utopian vision that he's just gonna go on this this like a uh, fantastical journey with these animals and you know it's all gonna work out well and I'm thinking...
1: I feel like that's how the movie was promoted right oh yeah and the movie was promoted <laughs> like it was like that so when the movie turns into this like harsh survival story where he has to face this like harsh turn of events where you know all of, like, you know, the animals start attacking each other for survival, and, and, you know, the cruel thing that he has to kind of, like, adapt to the things around him and, you know, whatnot. It becomes this very, very harsh story about, you know, where where Pie needs to grow up very fast in order to adapt to the situation and kind right. of, like, find that peace with, you know, kind of also be stronger than he is, you know? He has to be... Stronger in you know his character to kind of like be able to have that dominance over as much as he can over you know a fierce tiger.
0: Yeah, and I mean, this is what animals do. <laughs> they animals fight all the damn time, despite what certain people certain people will tell you. um Along with probably the line, you can't hug your children with nuclear arms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As I remember one horrible date telling me. She was "Just Sitting there going, oh, animals don't fight. And it's like, yes, animals fight all the bloody time.
1: <laughs> have you watched Planet Earth yet? <laughs>
0: Maybe? Uh, yes. No. I, I've seen I'm that. just
1: saying, like, that's like a conversation you gonna have. Oh, have right. you watched Planet Earth yet? Maybe that would help this Discovery Channel. has <laughs> a lot of fighting.
0: <laughs> I've seen that bloody sloth video more times than I care to mention. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the, so yeah, things go quickly south on, on the, uh, on the lifeboat, and we obviously end up with Pi having to deal with this tiger, and this in itself is like where the real interesting part of the story is, I mean, it's, as I said, we've got the survival tale, it's not just this tale of a guy in a lifeboat, which is, you know, it's got its own interest, and it's a guy in a lifeboat with a tiger, which again, is something you don't, uh, you don't get to really sort of see and I think it's a really interesting sort of setup. I mean obviously he's got resources on the lifeboat to to stay alive and he's got uh, rations and bits and pieces but at the same time he has to work around the fact that Tiger is also on the lifeboat with him creating this really unique situation that he has to sort of overcome and at the same time he's battling his own moral codes because he's because of his various sort of religions he's following he has this sort of moral code that he's against killing and, and eating meat so he basically has to sort of face against the idea of you know where the line between survival and following one's moral codes uh, comes in so this part of the story i think is really sort of great i mean it's very stunningly shot as well i mean they actually built a huge water tank um at a airport and it's probably one of the largest, um, you know, self-generating wave tanks that's been built of its kind. I mean, it held over 1.7 million gallons of water mm-hmm. and it basically enabled the crew to create any sort of effects that they wanted. They can create night or day and they can create different sort of settings and, uh, you know, clouds and nightfall and um, and storms. And it just made it a lot easier than, you know, trying to shoot on the real ocean. Which I'm sure, like the the production team of Waterworld, would tell you. So, to look at it, I mean, it's you wouldn't think that it's so much. It's a water tank. A lot of the shots do look really, really realistic, and certainly it gives the the a lot more sort of freedom. I mean, the fact that the camera can pretty much go anywhere around the raft, it can go underwater. We can see what's swimming around we can have all these sort of elaborate uh sort of shots and have a lot more sort of control than as i said if he was out trying to shoot this for real
1: I, th- I think that you know being shooting it in a water tank has its perks obviously um other you know they were able to do a whole lot with that um and and i'm sure you know it it was yeah you know, it probably wasn't easy either but i mean like my, my deal with this is that like it also has that possibility of giving it even more of that fantastical element, especially as, you know, move through those ocean days and things start getting a bit fuzzy between what's real and... The fact that it is that the water is incredibly still, like incredibly still. <laughs> so it's, it's very like, you know, for a lot of like, there's a good part of the sec- middle section where, you know, he's just going through the days and the water is so still. And it it started making me feel like whether he was dreaming this up. So and, and you know that's when I that's when obviously you know you start seeing these like, kind of these effects happen right like all these different things are happening and and then the water is underwater there's all these things going on and you know, there's the reflection of the sky and all that stuff and and you know the scenes are so pretty and then I started thinking about whether you know it was just I, I just I think that was you know maybe it was just it was probably all deliberate, I think, to you know where there's water, where there's more waves and where it's supposed to be calm to you know show off a certain um, scene that they want to show. But I, I I don't know. I mean, I think I don't yeah, know. I mean, I think it's done pretty nice.
0: Oh, definitely so, and it's certainly the film constantly finds new challenges uh, to keep things interesting. It never feels boring when you're on the ocean. Uh, segments. There's always some new challenge. There's always some obstacle to overcome. I mean, even when you get these moments of, of calm, um, all it takes is just a huge phosphorescent <laughs> uh, uh, humpback whale to come and screw everything up for yourself. And it's. um, it. I think you're just seeing, seeing the problem solving. Much like when you watch The Martian, it's just this idea of problem solving in a unique environment that just is mm-hmm. really interesting to watch. And certainly it's not a situation that you sort of really encountered before i mean obviously you've seen people doing doing the lifeboat uh sort of survival thing before but certainly to do it with a wild animal is certainly a a unique thing and the connection that he has with uh with this tiger is is also a really interesting fact because they become very bonded Despite his father, obviously, you know, this is a a creature that works at a very primal level. It has no compassion or feeling. These are just your sort of emotions that you're you're putting on the animal. And yet these two, over the course of this journey, they form this unique bond. So even to the point that when he thinks he's found a a sort of sanctuary, he finds like an island um, in the middle of the ocean that when he comes to leave the island he insists on taking the tiger with him he doesn't just dump the tiger on the island which would be a more logical step i would have said but if for some reason he's uh, feels this did such a connection to this tiger that he actually takes it with him when he sets off again
1: but i mean it's the same idea that you know when you're by yourself and you've spent like you know two-thirds of the year at sea with this one companion you've already grown together right i mean he had a chance where he could have just left richard parker to to die in the in the ocean and and he chose to you know let him back on board and himself go on onto his little raft you know and try and survive together and i think you know because of that it's kind of like that feeling that you have even like like it's just like you know how how can in Castaway, how does Tom Hanks' character bond with a volleyball, right? <laughs> and he does, because it's the only companion you have. And in the same situation, as dangerous as Richard Parker is, I think that the companionship and it is like, I think in the end he says it really well, like, that Richard Parker is the reason that he's able to survive this. Because, you know, it became kind of like his goal was to take care of this tiger. To to make sure that he was fed, to make sure that he was doing okay and and kind of like finding a place. So when they hit when they were hit with that, you know, second storm at sea and, and 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 he realizes that uh Richard Parker is actually scared of lightning and all that. Um, you know, there's this there's this moment where There's this this very strong creature that he thinks he can't overcome, and he's kind of like bullying, has this kind of weakness. And when he comes out of that, Richard Parker looks like he's about to die, right? And then at that time, he kind of feels like, you know what? He has that chat with God about, you know, you know what? I'm happy for the life you've given me, but I'm ready to go, you know, kind of thing. And that's all connected to, and that's that's it's kind of like this bond that they have together. And I think that it's so special that that you know the way that it's shown. It's kind of it's very touching to see.
0: I suppose it's good for him to have someone to talk to. I mean, obviously, as she said, in, already, in castaway Tom Hanks has he's got he's got the volleyball Wilson to talk to. Um, it could be argued whether Wilson's a better traveling companion or Richard uh, Perkins is. <laughs> I mean, which. which which do you prefer to hang out with i mean the this tiger or uh, or do you you essentially talk into a volleyball so
1: me, me would definitely be a tiger no no okay. no questions asked <laughs> i might die in the process i'm not as smart as pi is in the in the whole survival level yeah but but you know i mean the, the guy's got the the boys gone through a lot of uh a, a lot of a lot of uh bad stuff so <laughs> i don't know
0: okay well i mean nangli wasn't actually the first choice to direct the film originally the film was going to go to m night shana uh, shamahan Shamalan. shamalan who I I love this quote that he chose that he chose not to direct it because the book is the kind of twist ending and he I was concerned that as soon as you put my name on it everybody would have a different experience so he's there taking credit for a twist ending that was already in the book so that, again, just says wonders about him and his awful personality. Um, next up was uh, Alfon- Alfonso Quaran who de- decided to go off and direct Children of Men instead. Um, a film I have really mixed thoughts on. I know there's people out there who really love that film, but I just... I don't know. it just never really connected with myself. I don't know about yourself, Kim. Oh,
1: I don't like, know. I like Children of Men. I, it was the first movie that I really... Um, that I, I think I saw Quaran and then I... And then I started, you know, watching, you know, Gravity and stuff. And then I started really, I really appreciate, you know, the things he's done. You know, like, the vision he has for um, storytelling and, you know, visuals and stuff like that. Um, but I I feel like I'm missing a lot of his filmography, so I don't know. <laughs> I, might, I might be just basing it on two things. Um, but, I mean, Children of Men is good. It's, it's, it's a really, it is a really tough movie to watch, so it's not one that, like, i think i haven't watched it in like maybe five six years at this point
0: yeah um the <clears throat> the next uh, director to be offered it was uh, jean-pierre junet who i think would have done phenomenal work with it i mean obviously he's a director who gave us the likes to see lost children amelie um delicatessen very sort of visual director um even with like more mainstream work like Alien Resurrection he still always maintains his very visual sort of style and certainly has a fair film which it uses so much sort of like dreamlike quality and relies so heavily on visuals I think he would have done a really fantastic uh, job but unfortunately he left uh, leaving leaving the way for Ang Lee to take over the project um and also boosting the budget up to 120 million but Considering the film ended up taking six hundred nine million, I think it's a sort of gamble on on Lee's uh, sort of vision that sort of paid off for them ultimately. So
1: yeah, I mean, but at the same time, you know, if you think about it, at, at this point, Ang Lee does have you know the the whole you know he has already a best director award under his belt, and it's not like he's done you know, horrible movies at this point. So, no. He... So, you know, so it, it's not exactly like, like people aren't running to these movies to go see it. Anybody where it's kind of like an award-winning director goes and makes a movie, the chances of, you know, the audience wanting to go watch it is already a lot higher. And then, you know, when it's an adaptation, it it, it also boosts the chances because you got a whole bunch of people who have read this book who who wants to see how the book is even though, you know, they're expecting to hate it, uh, that sort of thing. And, and, and you know, I think that the movie was, was you know, that, that they took on Ang Lee, it was mostly for the fact that, I think that, you know, I was reading somewhere that Life of Pi is one of those books where no one believes it's gonna be, can be can be adapted. And then he ends up making, you know, this movie, which obviously brings in so much money that, so much money and it's it's somewhat of a surprise.
0: Uh, I mean, they say that, but the book's format is so straightforward. I mean, he doesn't really change the format of the book. Because the book's broken down into essentially the same moves we see here. We obviously got the, book, the first half, which is in India. Then we got the the the, the boat uh, section. And then we end up with the alternate story. So it's hardly the most unfilmable book i mean we're not talking watchmen here which is a incredibly complex story we're taking on multiple formats and styles to tell a very sort of complex and well uh, complex and involved story in terms of world building because i mean when you look at watchmen it's not just a comic book story you've also got huge segments of written sort of biographies that have been worked in there you've got like the tales of the black freighter which sort of is all as the world building that is happening in there and i think Watchmen is certainly a much more complex um, project than trying to adapt Life as Pie. I mean, even something like Fear and Love in Las Vegas, I can see being much more of a challenge than this book was. But you know,
1: I think I think it's just the fact that any book where it's more about kind of like that more complex, hidden kind of like belief and faith and all that stuff, it's hard to film into a movie where people will grasp those things—the same meaning from. And, and, like, I re- I think after re- watching this movie, the only thing I feel is that I want to kind of read the book because I feel like that might be able to portray what it's trying to say a little bit better. Because um, in the end, I, I mean, I don't think watching this made me think about, is it about faith and destiny and, and whatnot? It's more about, for me, it was more about the whole survival element of it. And, you know, the bond that that that... Uh, that, that Richard Parker and Pi ends up having and and I think the more complex feeling is more in the end about just you know which version do your story do you want to believe uh, you know are, I think it's who, what do you believe in is really based on you know whether you're kind of like a more rational mind like the insurance investigators who need a believable story like something that's more grounded or one that can you believe that a boy survived with a tiger for, you know, 270 days or something like that? This, the whole concept of him uh, in this whole process being able to save a tiger and living with a zebra and a orangutan and a hyena, and then, you know, he's floating on a raft in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, and, you know, all these stories, and then going onto this island that no one has ever seen before, who is carniv- carnivorous, you know, like... There's so many fantastical elements and to us it's fantasy, but maybe in reality this happened and it and it's all about at the ending where which version do you want to believe like what and, and that is more my takeaway is, you know, do you believe in the reality or the possibility of something that doesn't feel real to be a reality?
0: Did you see this film in 3D at all? Or are you watching it in standard bog definition like myself? <laughs>
1: I, I, I rented it so there was no 3D <laughs> no. But you could really Feel like some of the scenes are really Meant to be 3D and yeah. in 3D it would have been a pretty good feeling Like um, visually it would Be kind of like a real good ride um, But obviously you know there were Some scenes that I felt Wouldn't have made a difference like I think 70% of the movie 70 or 80% of the movie was Didn't really necessarily need to be in 3D And it would have been fine there were just like certain scenes where there were action or like the storm scenes or whatever, you know, that it felt a little bit more, you know, obviously, you know, maybe the humpback whale jumping into your face might be very exciting. Um, I don't know.
0: <laughs> I just, um, I was just curious to, to, uh, I would say, I mean, for myself, I wouldn't really fork out to see this in freely. There's nothing really sort of, uh looking at this that made me think oh wow! i've got to really see this in 3d despite the fact the film was advertised as the next avatar
1: yeah but awesome. i mean like you know i feel that way about a lot of 3d movies and that's why now like i don't go see i don't see most movies in 3d unless they're really meant to be in 3d
0: yeah
1: like i feel like especially in those you know 2012 like when 3d was just coming into play and whatnot that a lot of movies like 80, 85% of the movie was not, you know, obligatory to watch in 3D. And then there were just those moments where when you watch it in 2D, you know those moments were meant to be in 3D because they're, like, meant to kind of give you a shock or something. Or, like, you know, kind of like this, you know, in-your-face moment. Um, And it means nothing to me, honestly. I think that 3D sometimes watching it when there's a lot going on is kind of bothersome. So I, I, I don't, like, I don't know if it would really have enhanced the feeling of, you know, this kind of movie, because there were only a few very, like, um, exciting scenes, I guess. But, you know, Ang Lee's movies are not about excitement, so they're, they're, they're fairly calm in general.
0: Yeah. Um. Well, in terms of the effects, I mean, the f- film was subject to a lot of controversy in regards to its special effects. As despite the fact that the film won Best Visual Effects at the 2013 Academy Awards, the Reverend and Hughes studios, who provide most of the effects for the film, were forced to file for bankruptcy, uh, citing unfair competition from unsubsidized and tax exempt foreign studios. This, in turn, sparked a demonstration of nearly 500 f- VFX artists. Who were protesting outside the Academy Awards, and in particular, uh, the protest leader targeted Ang Lee, who during his during his um, thank you speech managed to essentially thank everyone but the actual production team who had handled all the special effects. He's quoted as saying, Ang Frank, the crew, the the actors, his agent, his lawyer, and the entire population of Taiwan, right down to the team that built the wave pool and the soundstage where Pi was shot, but failed to mention hundreds of artists who not only made the main character, the tiger, but replaced that pool, making it look like the real ocean for 80% of his movie. So, it raised a lot of eye there. At the same time, um, the... Oscar-nominated song Pies Lullaby received um, much criticism as it was um, alleged that it was um, basically um, a reworking of a renowned lullaby um, and that the composer uh, basically denied this. And it's gone back and forth still, even now they haven't really got to the end of it. On top of that, there's also animal abuse allegations with... Uh, rumors that they almost killed the tiger coming from the set. This no also not being helped by the um, A.C.A. monitor, so the basically animal. And sorry, the American Humane Association. Um, Gina Johnson, she was involved with one of the producers of the films, which is been rumored to have uh, helped to influence and get the film its no animals were harmed certification. So there was a lot of controversy in regards to the animal abuse there was also footage release of one of the animal trainers uh, michael hackenberg who was seen swearing and whipping one of the young tigers 19 times and yeah it um i've watched in the film i didn't realize it was actual live tigers being used i thought it was all cgi so it was really kind of shocking to know that they were doing work with live tigers especially during the boat sequences um, and where they're talking about obviously where the tiger must die and there's a scene where the tiger does look to be drowning and I again I thought this was all CGI tiger uh, did you were you aware there was any real tiger footage? I
1: mean, I was thinking to myself, I was thinking like this was CGI and then I was looking at the tiger and I was like, This looks so real. I don't know if this is CGI. I, I, I was I was I didn't research it or anything, but I didn't feel like it was CGI. Like it felt very real. I just I just didn't know if anybody would risk having a tiger on scene. so I can't
0: imagine it would be the easiest sort of set to work with a tiger on. I mean, it's...
1: I mean, dogs are hard enough to work with. Imagine tigers who are actually are kind of life-threatening, you know?
0: Well, I mean, just, just look at your... if you Let's just break it down even further. I mean, like, if you try to work with your cat in any sort of film thing. And you essentially just basically increase the size by, by six and you have essentially the difficulty of working with a with a tiger, so
1: Pretty much right. <laughs>
0: Lazy sod just sits there eating all day.
1: <laughs> My cat only shows up into things that I when I used to do videos, she would only show up when I didn't want her in a scene. And then she'd butt herself in exactly where I didn't need her to be. So that's cooperation, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Indeed. Obviously, the final part of this film, we obviously is sort of brought into question this whole sort of tale that's been spun mm-hmm. here, and we are. Uh, as you mentioned already i mean the fact that for the insurance investigations they need a much more grounded um, tell and the same the key piece of evidence and this is what made me laugh the most is the fact that one of them says that bananas don't float so that the orangutan that we see floating floating to the raft on a bag of bananas could possibly have happened when actually bananas do float especially in that density of water so it, it, that's what your your misunderstanding of how science works is what you're questioning a whole story on but it's i think a... that
1: that you know but that that's just the fact that you know it, it's how these people have their own beliefs and and they just need a story that just kind of like explains how this happened but in the end they didn't really get a story that explains why the freighter sunk no. So it was all kind of like, you know, they asked him and then they didn't believe his story. And then they asked him to do one that they believed in, which he did. And then in the end, it still had nothing to do with why the freighter sh- sunk because he wouldn't know. Why would he know? He's a, he's a boy who lived in the lower compartments who came up during a thunderstorm. Yeah. And had no idea what was going on until he realized when he went back that the bottom was like that the ship was sinking. Right.
0: And it's kind of frustrating, really, because the people is people that uh, really sort of, like, proclaim this as, like, such an amazing dark twist of an ending, and it's like when they talk about The Mist, and it's like, well, The Mist didn't really deserve that dark ending either. So <laughs> it's, um, it's a little frustrating when you have these films which have got these twist endings that they don't particularly need nor deserve, and this is certainly a case here. It's sort of like, oh, we're going to throw some, like, throw some doubt on it, and I think it's, certainly with the way the film starts it, Pi is introduced, and he seems like this teller of tall tales. And certainly the writer, at the uh, start, he constantly questions like information that's been told to him from like other sources, and what Pi, compares it against what Pie's telling him. So, right from the start, there's obviously this doubt that's being cast over, any that can we trust anything that Pi tells us? So, at least it bothers to sort of to lay some groundwork for its, for its uh, twist, so to speak. Um, I, think, I think
1: it's just, you know, Oscar movies are always like this, where, you know, peop- <clears throat> movies who want to have a lot of depth is usually very, you know, Oscar fodder. And Life of Pi fits in there because of the fact that we have this twist where you can really question. Because in the end, he never really gives you a clear answer what's the true version of the story because obviously the version that he tells the insurance investigators could be the true version. But, you know, Pi does live in kind of like a fantasy world where he lives in all this belief and all these different religions and he's kind of like this very, he's kind of like this very like quirky and unbelievable sort of character. So you kind of have this feeling where maybe, you know, he is creating a situation where he's making, like, a more, like, a less harsh version of the, the, the human, you know, the, the, the brutal human reality that he would have had if all the characters that he was doing are parallel to were humans that were on the freighter. So, you know, it's not not believable. I mean, he he does these parallels and it's 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 very obvious that we see these parallels. And and I would and I'm just surprised that, you know, these investigators were believed it, you know, because I'm sure they're not. Well, they they did uh, throw throw off a story for not for bananas not floating. But (laughs) (laughs) but, you know, I would I would assume they would see that parallel. Right. Um, so I, I mean, either way, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that the ending was was made on purpose to give it depth, to give it that that you know ending thought for you to kind of ponder a little on, you know, what version do you want to believe, right?
0: To have a view viewing, then, if you do like Life is Pi or you want to watch something similar. What would you recommend people watching?
1: I mean, obviously, I mentioned I mentioned Castaway, which is very much the same type of movie, and that kind of like odd bond (laughs) that they have um (laughs) uh i would say i think i mean i thought a lot about mostly survival movies obviously you know 127 hours is a really good one which is also kind of brutal um you have you know uh one that we reviewed in the um in the last shark week that we did um the shallows which is really a survival story also set you know in water and and that sort of stuff. Um, I actually thought The Perfect Storm would be pretty good. Um, you know, I thought the movie's pretty good. And I okay, I thought it's nice to talk about something like that, too. Because it's kind of, you know, it's a group of people trying to survive through, you know, this crazy situation. Um, and and while we were talking about it, I actually thought of another movie that would kind of be something similar to Life of Pi. And that is a movie uh, that that is also adapted from a book. And that's Eat, Pray, Love. I don't think the movie's great. But, I mean, the idea is there. Really? <laughs> the idea of, like, this whole, you know, life thing where you're 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 kind of, like, going to see this world and, and you know, th- these different things to, that, you know, obviously is a different kind of uh, path, but it's also one that's about kind of digging a little deeper. Okay. And that's it. That's it for me.
0: I can't stand these books where these writers, they go and backpack over to India or Tibet or something and they come back feeling all worldly and then write books like Eat, Pray, Love and Life is Pie and try and bring across this sense of uh, deeper spirituality. But
1: I mean, in all honesty, when you're trying to do a double feature, don't you think Life of Pie goes well with Eat, Pray, Love? You know, if you're into one, would you not watch the other one, right?
0: Uh, no, I mean, I would rather watch Castaway with this, or something like The Martian, or the to...
1: Martian's a good one. I actually was thinking about it, and I, and I just couldn't figure out what it was, and then I figured you were going to talk about it since you talked yeah. about it.
0: Yeah, so <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah. It's again, it's that idea. It's just you know, problem solving in a, a unique location. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a it's an okay movie. I guess it's certainly a film that thinks it feels higher, high, highly of itself, and certainly the Academy felt the same way as well to give it uh, to give Ang Lee the best uh, director for it. But at the same time, I feel that. It, he's doing. he's doing stronger work certainly with crash attack and dragon would be my my one go-to if we're trying to think of uh when we look at those oscar winning sort of efforts and i would certainly put that as uh high even perhaps uh brookback mountain as slow moving as that was i think would certainly be higher rated than this was so obviously we're at the end of another season and as we like to do we like to obviously look back at the seasons was and uh and time now to highlight some choices so i mean kim of the ones that we've seen what would you say has been your favorite uh, selection of the season
1: how about you say it first <laughs>
0: i knew you were going to say that um for myself wedding banquet i think uh wedding banquet is just a phenomenal film uh, yes, I mean, I could obviously have obviously said Cretchen, Tiger, and Dragon, but I feel that's kind of the obvious answer here. And Wedding is the middle part of the Father Knows Best trilogy, it's such an interesting and fun little tale. It's kind of like a um comedy. And at the same time, it's got real sort of taps into those sort of familiar themes of Lee's work and you know, the idea of duty and family. So, And uh, just the idea of uh, this... This guy trying to get his family off uh, his back by throwing a fake wedding. Um, and just how the different characters all sort of come together. And just the ending in Tick As we said when we recorded it, it was a film I rented. And I watched about three times over the one weekend. I enjoyed it that much. So it's uh, definitely was the highlight for myself. Uh, but what about yourself, Kim?
1: My best, I think, you know, after a lot of thought, um, is... We'll definitely go to less caution. I, I sound like I'm still questioning myself. Okay. <laughs> okay. No. 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 It no. would we'll go to less caution. Um. I think that you know, less caution might not be the movie that I go back to watch a lot because, um, it is kind of heavy and it has a lot of really like intense sex scenes that I, I might not want to rewatch too much. Um. But less caution is kind of like. I feel like it's kind of like that step in Ang Lee's career, which kind of like breaks away from other things that he's done. You know, there's, there's a bit more of a dangerous element here, a lot more, you know, there, it is slow, but there is a pretty good pacing for, you know, the two hours. I think it was one of those movies where I literally sat through it in kind of like one sitting and, and I, and I, you know, was really, you know, captured by everything that was going on and just, you know, all the characters and all the development and, and the script was done well and the, sh- the scenes were done well and 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 that sort of thing. And it's such a strong piece of cinema that it, it's just um, it, it's just so captivating um, that I, I, I think it's one of the works that stand out the most to me
0: it's funny you should obviously mention Lost Caution because that's my hidden gem of this season um, <laughs> I see, when we watched it I think I was I was in my very sort of like film groups like German Guide to Midnight Cinema and uh, over at the Asian Cinema Film Club and just saying you know you have to see this film why are we not talking about this film because it feels that it came out and had a lot of buzz at the time and now it seems to have been kind of forgotten which is a real shame because it is a phenomenal piece of filmmaking I mean it's two and a half hours but it absolutely flies by and it's a very sumptuously shot film. Everything looks really stunning. And yeah. it's, frankly, just not a lot of style over substance. There's a real depth and there's a real thriller element to this. This idea of the students setting out to try and create this patriotic act and then ultimately reuniting uh, certain key characters to again to re this plot, uh, this time with a, more of a honey trap, plot only for the trap to be turned on the honey trapper it was just it's just a phenomenal story and it just keeps you engrossed right into the end so for myself it's a real hidden gem of this filmography and the sort of film i would love to see angley making more but just generally just making more asian cinema because it seems to be certainly when he's working at his strongest compared to his films he's making within the hollywood system certainly
1: but I feel like maybe it's his key has kind of like this daring voice in cinema and having these stories that he wants to tell that that seem to really is very ahead of time of the Asian market, at least when he releases those movies, that maybe he's a bit more reluctant to do it now because, you know, obviously with all the things that's happened, you know, he he there's a lot of you know i'm i I think that some of his movies are probably banned in china and then you have like less caution where you know the actress had had you know (laughs) had a probation on her career because of this and all kinds of things like that happen then maybe it's it's less you know something he wants to take too much steps into because the world is more accepting on in the western world when he's trying to tell a story than in in the eastern world right um, yeah, but, I mean, since you talked about your hidden gem, I'm gonna go ahead and... Because I kind of, uh, flip my mentality than yours. Okay. I actually think Father Knows Best trilogy is more of a hidden gem, because it's so early in his career that people probably don't go and find his movies as much. Um, but I'm not going with the Wedding, ba- wedding Banquet, as you probably guessed. Yeah. So, I'm gonna go with Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, which I think is his hidden gem, because I think that, you know, that movie, um is just so nice to watch in that complex family drama. And it's something that Ang Lee does so well of as well, because he's so like, I think that when he first starts his career, a lot of it is, you know, especially with a father knows best trilogy, it's all about um, bringing up this uh, fam, this Chinese culture and, You know, and in this one, we talk mostly about, you know, food and the food in this family and how dinner brings the family together. And all of these things are very um, strongly rooted in kind of like the Chinese beliefs. Um, And then you see, you know, the family kind of, um, you know, each having their own connections as they grow up and in, in romance and in, you know, their futures and all those things. And, you know, obviously you can't ignore the fact that there is some really, really good, um, you know, just food pornography going on here. <laughs> it's and a different see- sort of filth,
0: isn't it, really? You get to see erotica <laughs> in Less Caution and then you get to see food porn and Eat, Drink, Man, Woman. Um, that that opening sequence, I mean, alone is just worth watching the film for. Just seeing, it's like, it, it's very sort of like, oh, you think you know food? No, you don't know nothing. And yeah, it's just like and, watching and, a guide to school you.
1: And, you know, the, the the movie is about so much more than that. It's about, you know, mm. growing up, you know, your children growing up and the older generation being somewhat like left behind. And that whole gap of how much someone wants to take care of their father and, and, and that whole, you know, uh, concept, which is very grounded in, in Chinese families, um, which which is something that you know i think is very important to talk about uh and and this movie does it so well um i mean father knows best in general i think you know mostly its latter two is done really well and showing that sort of thing um like just you know all, all the chinese culture and all that I, th- I mean if i could the hidden gem would be all three i think <laughs> but um right now we're choosing one so each Matt woman is my hidden gem and uh yeah so so now we're at our worst what's your worst <laughs>
0: Uh, is it really a contest when it comes to this? I mean, certainly my, my biggest disappointments of this season was The Ice Storm. When we entered into it, The Ice Storm was a film I was really looking forward to seeing as it's been on my watch there for quite a while and it was kind of disappointing when we watched it and more so because Norman really loves that movie uh, of Flicanto and it was kind of sad as hell, like to say to him it's like, you know, this movie that you've watched over and over again I don't really like it as much as you do. <laughs> Which is always a little awkward. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, well, well, we can't always have the same opinions about
0: things,
1: um, right? Um, no. But, I mean, I get where you're coming from. And sometimes, you know, being disappointed about a movie is worse than it being a bad movie.
0: Um, Yeah, and I mean, if it hadn't been for my actual pick for, like, worse movie, I think, then it would be... The one that claimed this category and i mean that's kind of saying something because we obviously had sense of sensibility in in there and we obviously had pushing hands which perhaps was a a little slower than the other two films in the final of spestridge and certainly we also got our film selection tonight life is pie which could also be contender but the one to burn is hulk or mm-hmm. aka how to make the most boring superhero movie ever um <laughs> Yeah, this is uh, two and a, two and a plus, two plus hours of family drama tedium. Which, if you're looking for a fun film on your Friday night, I don't think this is going to be it.
1: <laughs> so let me get it straight: is your worst movie Hulk? Yes, or... okay, my okay. my
0: worst movie is going to be Hulk. Um, it's the okay. lowest rated of this season. Uh, with a woeful two stars. Um, it's. Ang <laughs> Lee's he- 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 obviously trying to encapsulate his themes of family drama into a superhero movie and yes I understand that at the same time this is a film which is very early in the superhero cycle so we had not learned how to make million dollar blockbusters out of superhero properties at this point but this is just so tedious. The fact that Hope doesn't show up for the first hour um, and the fact we've got Eric Banner playing Bruce Banner where he just as I said on that episode, he just constantly seems to be trying to play the Hulk without turning into the Hulk in so many <laughs> scenes in that movie.
1: But you know, I mean, we talked about it already in there, and it's it's you know, Eric Bana is a very intense actor as he is that he doesn't really need to turn into the Hulk to be the Hulk. Yeah. Um, but either way, I mean, I I'm totally along with you. We rarely have choices that match up, but the worst for me is Hulk. Um, I actually think. The Hulk was such a sure-fire win. Like, there were no other contenders for me. Um, Because, you know, as much as, you know, the other movies were slow and and whatnot, everything had, like, moments where... where I kind of appreciated the movie for what it was. Like, even in the ice storm and even in, you know... uh, Even in, you know, Life of Pi and, and whatnot. I mean, all these movies, as slow as they were, I still found points about them that i i think you know whether it was cinematography or whether it was just you know certain characters that were created and whatnot but hulk is kind of like forgettable you know we were talking about it you know off off the off off the show off recording right yeah and yeah off air and and i was just like And I was telling you, I I honestly don't remember a lot about it. I only remember like one ending scene and one middle scene when he changes. And then I can't remember much from there. So (laughs) (laughs) it's not only a bad movie, but it's kind of like a forgettable movie, which I think is even worse because in the sea of superhero movies, you shouldn't be forgettable. So, I, I don't know. I mean, that that's where I'm at with, with, with you know, my, my, my
0: worst movie choice. <laughs> I know, and I mean, the Hulk is a very difficult character to do. I mean, removing, obviously, the legendary TV series aside with, you know, Lou Ferrino as, uh, as the Hulk. Um, that man needed no CGI. <laughs> Just a, a tin of green paint to, for that man to Hulk out. And... Um, Yeah, I mean, that's obviously home and then when we look at the ones which followed, I think, as we said on that show, I think only the Eber Norton version has been the truest to the Hulk vision. We've had a rather intense um, Eric Banner here, which was just combined with Nick Noti's almost psychotic father, uh, since the father-like performance, and then we've obviously followed it more recently with Mark Ruffalo's dull as dishwater interpretation of the Hulk, which... You know, because Ruffalo's more willing to play the rule, play by the uh, Disney rules has meant that he's obviously stayed longer and uh, got to keep cash those checks while Norton was obviously pushed to the side when the agenda changed, which was always still one of the grave errors of the uh, the Marvels in the US. But, you know, this, the Hulk is just... it, it, it just fails on so many levels of entertainment, generally. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, a pity because, you know, that was Ang Lee's, you know, big thing to kind of get into the whole superhero train and that big blockbuster train. Right. Yeah. And it's and it's only, you know, now that, you know, with Gemini Man that he's he's gotten back into blockbusters. Right. So, you know, maybe he's just not meant for it. He's more just meant for like the art house kind of thing. Never know. Right. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and, I mean, obviously, while this season's been very different than the previous seasons that we've done, I don't feel, you know, that it's been ultimately time wasted. I mean, it's certainly been a season which has highlighted films that perhaps would have not got around to seeing. I mean, mm-hmm. seeing things like Lost Caution, for example, or getting to cross the ice storm off, or even look at The Father's Nose Best Trilogy, these were all worthwhile uses of time that we've had with the season. So, while perhaps it's not been... It's been a very different season to the previous ones that we have had with Paul W.S. Anson, Singer Moto and Sophia Coppola. Yeah. Um, this has certainly had it had its moments of uh, films that I'm glad that made me glad that we obviously chose to do Angley, even though yeah. um, it's been as I say, it's been a just very sort of different season to put together.
1: And I mean, I mentioned it before, um, especially when you know I was talking about Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and Brokeback Mountain that. You know, Ang Lee is one of those directors that is worth revisiting because his movies are so sophisticated that they're for kind of like the older audience. So as you get a bit older, you know, you you know a little bit more, you have a little bit more knowledge about life and whatnot. You understand his movies. And, you know, the 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 messages he's trying to tell and and the connections he's trying to draw with these characters a lot more than, say, when you're watching it, um, you know, when they release when when uh, when you were younger, at least for me. I mean, most of the movies we were watching that has been released. I was like, you know, um, in high school or something or high school or up or something like that, um, you know, so especially for, you know, I think one of the best things of the season was changing my view from you know, not liking Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon to, you know, now I I actually, you know, I actually appreciate the movie a lot.
0: Great. So yeah, that brings us to the end of another season of, uh, Movies and Team. We thank you as always for listening. And if you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe buttons, uh, below and maybe leave us a review as it all helps raise the profile of the show. You can also check out our full archives of, uh, of not only this season but all the previous four seasons uh, over on Uh you can follow us on Facebook and we are on Twitter as well as Instagram uh, so you can also keep up with uh, things there but um, Kim what do we have coming up next
1: uh, we're heading into our after hours so after hours is always kicked off with our shark week which is our fourth shark
0: week. Yep, Third Shark Week. Fourth.
1: Yeah, fourth Shark Week. Yeah. And <laughs> uh we're we're going to be looking at uh, we're going to be looking at 2012's uh bait.
0: So, yeah, an Australian production as a group of uh, supermarkets and shoppers find themselves submerged underwater when a freak tsunami Hits the store, not only submerging them in water, but also washing in a group of great white sharks. So it's going to be a real interesting one to uh, discuss because Bait's been, it came out and kind of sunk without a trace. And I think a lot of it was in that sort of swell of bad CGI shark movies. So um, it's going to be interesting to revisit that and see whether we got ourselves a hidden gem or whether it deserved to obviously be sunk. So uh, that's all coming up on our next episode. But uh, thank you as well for listening. And thank you to my co-host Kim. And we'll be (laughs) back next time uh, to talk about bait. Good night.